Have you ever been stuck? I mean, like in the mud or the snow or maybe in a closet and you were helpless to get yourself out? There was no way that you could get yourself out under your own strength? Well, 200 or so years ago, there was a practice in the United States. It was terrible. It was called slavery, where men and women were considered property. They worked for free, yet didn't have their freedom, and they were helpless to free themselves. Many men and women died because of the work that they were doing. Well, this is a similar situation that the people of Israel found themselves in. See, God had blessed them by bringing them to Egypt and provided for them in the midst of a famine. But then their people began to outnumber those of the Egyptians and their new rulers began to feel uh, threatened. And so they enslaved the, the Israelites. For 400 years, all the Israelites knew was slavery. They worked and they died. But God had not forgotten about them. In fact, God provided a way for their freedom. He miraculously saved his servant Moses and then he worked out all of the details. So today, in the midst of big events of history, we see the Scarlet Thread. I just can't seem to get the titles of our messages straight. Um, I've got it covered. Is a great that's a great title that uh, that goes along with the message really well today. Um, Moses on the move that goes really well too, and uh, so you get the benefit of two titles this morning again. Uh, well, a couple's lawnmower was broken, and the wife tried everything she could to get her husband to fix it, but he just he just wouldn't do it. She, she, he just couldn't get it repaired. It, it would never sink in. So she finally thought of an idea that she thought maybe she would get her point across. So one day when her husband arrived home from work, um, the wife was sitting out on the lawn with a pair of scissors cutting the grass. And he stood there, and he watched her for a moment, and then he just went into the house. And after a few minutes, he came back out of the house and uh, he handed her a toothbrush and he said, when you finish cutting the grass, you might as well sweep the sidewalk too. The doctors say he should be able to walk again, but always with a limp. Uh, you know, springtime, springtime brings new growth and, and new grass. And when I saw that joke, it reminded me of the spring. And, and actually, as, as we talk about the event in history that we're going to talk about today, uh, it occurred in the springtime. It was that time of year when this occurred. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us the whole way, this is, this is week four, and we're talking about the scarlet thread. And this, this rope up here represents the scarlet thread, and that is uh, Jesus Christ, or the story of redemption through the course of history. And, and we learned the first week that, that it was Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God never had a beginning, will never have an end. He has always been the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and continues to work throughout our life. Now, we saw Him create in the first week. He created everything that exists. He created Adam and Eve, and He gave them one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One, one rule is all that they had. Well, Adam and Eve were deceived. Uh, they sinned, they ate 
from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it was the first worst decision ever made uh, on our planet. And God threw them out of the Garden of Eden, and, uh, and we have been suffering the consequences and suffer the consequences of sin ever since that day. Well, the next thing we looked at was, was Noah, the event of the big flood. And Pastor Stefan told us how that was an actual act of redemption. God could have wiped every living being from the planet of earth, but he did not. He chose to redeem. He chose to save Noah and his family and the animals. And so that's what he did. And then he made us a promise with a, a rainbow in the sky that he would never uh, judge the planet. He would never flood the earth again in that way. And something we also talked about is the fact that secular history of our planet uh, runs uh, at the same time as biblical history. I shared with you this thought that I had that, that somehow there was biblical history and then there's secular history. But the truth of the matter is that biblical history and secular history run parallel with each other. This was, this was new to me. Maybe you're thinking, gee, Pastor Dave, I've known that all my life. Well, um, it was new to me. And so we, we also are looking at a few things that are happening on the secular side of history as we go through uh, the history of the Bible. Um, in 2166, Abraham was born. Uh, God made many promises to Abraham. One really big promise, that he would be the father of a great nation. And, uh, and we saw that Abraham struggled in some of the journeys of life that God had him on. Um, uh, we saw last week the truth in the fact that we are, are not unlike Abraham, that Abraham is a lot like us. We, we fail, we succeed, we fail, we succeed. We, we fail tests that God gives us, we pass tests that God gives us. Um, God, uh, that's a huge story in and of itself. And then finally, um, uh, Abraham and Sarah had the son that God had promised them in Isaac. And then God told him to do something totally unexpected. He said, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, your son whom you love, and I want you to take a trip and I want you to sacrifice him. And the Bible says that the next day, Abraham packed up and took his son and went to uh, the mountain to sacrifice his son Isaac. Complete and total obedience. He raised the knife to sacrifice his son and God stopped him and said, Abraham, now I know. I know that you are faithful. I know that you are faithful. And then he provided a, a sacrifice for them. There was a, a ram caught in some some weeds or some branches and uh, Isaac and his father Abraham sacrificed that ram in Isaac's place. His one and only son whom God had said sacrifice, God provided uh, a sacrifice to be in his place, not unlike the fact that God has provided Jesus Christ to be sacrificed in our place as the scarlet thread continues on through life. Now, a couple other big events that I wanted to put up here for us. Um, in 2006 B.C., Jacob and Esau were born. In 1915 B.C., Joseph is born. And then, of course, uh, if you're familiar with it, there's the coat of many colors. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt in prison for doing what was right. And after years, finally, God brings him to prominence. And in 1885, Joseph actually becomes one of the rulers of Egypt. God gives him that great responsibility, and he saves a lot of people. That's why, Israel, uh, that's why the Israelites ended up in Egypt, was uh, because there was a famine in the land. And Joseph took care of them. All right, then, today, uh, we are looking at 
Moses. And in 1526, Moses is born. And then in 1446, we have two, two events. The first is the Passover, and we're going to be taking a look at that. And the second is the Exodus. In 1446. Now, a couple historical things that I want to uh, let us know are happening all along with the biblical history is that in 2000 B.C., we have Native Americans migrating to North America from Asia. Uh, we also, in the year 2000 B.C., as best they can tell, Stonehenge was built. It's still standing. And then one other thing. Um, in 1900 B.C., uh, we have the invention of spoked wheels, horses begin to pull vehicles, and Egypt begins to irrigate some of the first farmers around. Egypt begins to irrigate. Isn't it amazing how God works? I mean, what we're reading, what we're looking at is actual history of humanity, of the planet, and, and of God working in the course of that history. And I think it's wonderful the way that God teaches us through everyday experiences and lessons and through His Word, the Bible, through, through symbols. And we're going to see an extraordinary symbol today. Uh, actually, something that wasn't simply a symbol. Um, it, it was a method of redemption. Today we take a look at God, at something God commanded the Israelites to do that is nothing short of amazing in its practice and amazing in its revelation. So turn to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in your Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And, and we're going to just kind of flow through some chapters. You can turn and look at them as I mention them if you would like. Now, if God had not created Moses, I think Hollywood eventually would have. You know, Moses did some epic things. In fact, there's several movies that have been produced. Um, DreamWorks took, took a hold of Moses' story and made a movie. Um, Charlton Heston, probably in one of the most popular uh, movies, maybe until now, until the Bible may, I don't know, remove that as kind of the um, uh, movie to watch when it comes to biblical history. I don't know. But the events of Moses' life contain all the elements of great epics. I mean, from the, from the moment he took his first breath, you see, the, the Pharaoh at the time had said, these people, are, these people are populating way too much. They're going to overtake us. So he commanded the, or the Israelite midwives to start killing all of the boys that were born and to only save the girls. Well, the midwives couldn't do that, and they disobeyed that. They wouldn't do it. So then the Pharaoh took things into his own hands and he began having the, 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 the boys killed himself. And then Moses is born. And, and Moses' mom is, is able to, to hide him for three months. And then she can no longer hide him. So she puts him in a basket, floats him down a river, and he is picked up, coincidentally, by the princess of the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's daughter. And is then raised. He's raised in the household of the Pharaoh. Um, it gets a real good, close look at what the culture is in Egypt, um, what it means to have. And then he goes from a have to a have-not. 
He loses his temper when he sees an Egyptian uh, slave driver beating uh, an Israelite slave, and he kills him. And a few days later, finds out that the word has got out that people know that he did this. So he flees Egypt. He flees Egypt to a place called Midian, where he meets his wife. He gets married. He works for his father-in-law. He tends sheep. And he goes from a very rich life to a very common one. And while he was there in Midian, the Bible says that it was a long period of time. And during that time, the Pharaoh died and the people of Israel began to cry out to God to free them. Um, in Exodus 2, 24 and 25, it says that God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Was this a, oh, oh, I remember. Now I remember. Now I remember the Israelites. They've been in Egypt all this time. I wonder where they had gone. No, that is not what happened. God remembered them as in he's acting on their behalf now. Um, It's been a long time, but now he's acting. And it's the right time. It's the right time. So God met Moses in a burning bush. says, Moses, you're the man. I'm sending you. There's this debate between God and Moses whether Moses is actually the guy that should be. Um, God actually agrees to send Aaron with him to be his spokesman when he goes to meet before the Pharaoh. Now, the legacy of Moses' leadership is the Exodus, hands down. Now, Exodus, just a sidebar, is actually Greek for exit. If you, go to, uh, if you were to go to uh, an airport in Greece, you would see that sign right there above a lot of doors. Exodus is the big exit. And this huge exit occupies center stage as the central part or event of the nearly 1,500 years of Old Testament history. Um, It is one of the greatest historical events in the life of the nation of Israel. Yet, if we put our focus on Moses, we will completely miss it. You see, the book of Exodus isn't written to tell us about Moses. It's not written to tell us about the people of Israel. It's written to tell us about the Redeemer of humanity, God, and eventually His Son, Jesus Christ. Because it's not about Moses. It's not about Israel. It's the scarlet thread. It's about the creator of all things working throughout the course of history, even to today. So we need to see ourselves for who we really are. We are slaves in the need of a Savior, just like they were slaves in the need of redemption and freedom. People that are stuck without Jesus are slaves. People who depend on the work and grace of Jesus Christ, that's who we are. And all of Scripture is focused on that fact, that Jesus Christ, that God is the Redeemer of all things. So the Bible is about Jesus, not about Moses or any other biblical figure. The point of Moses is not Moses, it's God. And the point of those times in your life and my life when he's working and we see and, and things are happening, it's not about us so much as it is about him. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 tell us of this fact. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, 
Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. God is the builder. It's not you, it's not me. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. So I made verses 3 and 4 your memory verse for the week so that we can focus on the fact that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do, incredible things will happen. Because the individual characters in the Bible don't show up because anything about them was particularly significant. In fact, many of them are chosen because they are insignificant. And I tend to think of myself as somewhat insignificant in the scheme of life. And I can hold to the truth that God has chosen me for something. And it's God that works in me. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Significance is reserved for Jesus. Deuteronomy 7, 7 7-9 say this, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Now, he's talking about Israel, but I think he could be talking about us as individuals as well. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But it was because of the Lord's love. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. A thousand generations is a long time. Don't think we're to the end of it yet. He loves us. He loves us. So if we look and scan back in your Bible to chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, you will see the miraculous things that God did through the process of the first nine plagues. Crazy stuff. I mean, like frogs coming up, you know, just all over the ground. Can you imagine? The locusts, um, the fire, the hail... I mean, the land of Egypt must be decimated at this point in time. Those people are tired of what's going on now. God has been preparing the people of Egypt as well as the Pharaoh and the rulers of, of Egypt for this great exit that the Israelites gonna, that are going to be make, but that are going to make. But to this point, even to chapter 10, the people are still stuck. That's point number one in your notes. People are stuck. We are stuck. If without Jesus Christ in our sin, these people are stuck geographically. Now, Exodus 12:40 says, Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. 430 years. That's a long time. And they were increasingly desperate and worn out. They were stuck. Now, I mentioned in the, in the bumper video, uh, asked you a question, have you ever been stuck? Well, I want to show you a couple guys that have been stuck. Here's the first picture of a guy that's stuck. There is no way he's getting out of there in and of himself. Can't happen. It ain't going to happen. Now, some of you guys that sell, you know, equipment other than green are kind of smiling right now. I, I know you are. Okay? And I don't know why, but everything I'm using today turned up to be green. Um, this is another one. Maybe these guys were just, you know, maybe they were just thought so much of their green tractors that they thought there's no way I can get stuck. Well, this guy was proved wrong. He is definitely stuck. And then, to heap insult to injury, 
You know, I, I look at that picture, and you would have thought after the first one they'd have known that you can't go in there. Especially you would have thought after the second one, why would you even back a third one in there and think it was going to do any good? But, but that's what they did. You know, the people, the people of Israel are stuck. They're geographically stuck. And they cried out. And you, you may be thinking right now in your life, there may be something going on in your own life, personally, and you're feeling stuck. You're wondering, can I go on? Can I get out of this? Well, I, I want us to do this. Um, if you feel helpless in your situation, you need to cry out to God. And, and I want to give you something in order to do that. Write this in your notes, Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I was with a family yesterday who lost a 27-year-old for no reason. Died unexpectedly. And, and, and you can see the sense of being stuck in the faces of people. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to turn. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe, maybe you have that sense with a situation in your life. Well, I want you to close your eyes as I read Psalm 116, 3 through 9, and I want you to think of this as a prayer that you could say, just as David did, beginning in verse 3, the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came over me, I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Amen. You see, we need to cry out to God because we, we have no power in and of ourselves to save ourselves. In those times of desperation when we are stuck, when we are simply powerless as the nation of Israel was geographically and as they were also stuck in their sin and we are stuck in our sin, apart from Jesus Christ, we're in bondage. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the consequence. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. So if we are not in Christ, we are not coming to the Father. There's no way to the Father without Him. Paul says, no one is good. No one. No one is righteous. That righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. So what does God do? What does God do for the Israelites? Well, God gets Moses moving. He's going to move His people. And then He continues to, he continues to develop this plan of redemption. We see it in, in the events of, of today's story. He's established in history and throughout the revelation through the Bible that freedom for sin cannot occur unless there's bloodshed. We saw that in the second look video this week. Ty talked about that a little bit. And then Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. 
And it's getting more clear and more clear the further we go. There is no salvation. And God is literally rolling out His plan for the present and the future and on down further into the future as we look at this case of the Israelites today. So let's take a look at what the plan was. What was the plan? Well, the first part of the plan is the punishment and judgment of Egypt. Egypt is, a, is an evil nation. They practice black magic. They sacrifice humans. They worship hundreds of gods. And they even hold to the truth that their human leaders, the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's son, are actual gods or deities themselves. That's what the Egyptians believe. They've suffered nine plagues already. They're tired and worn out from all the pain, yet there was one more plague that would be greater than all the rest put together that they are going to have to suffer because of their ruler's stubbornness. It would be the most devastating and painful of them all, and it would remove all doubt if there was any doubt in anybody's mind in the nation of Egypt that the God of Israel was the one and only all-powerful God, this last plague will remove that doubt. Because you see, even the prince of the Pharaoh thought as a deity, his firstborn will not survive this plague. As we look at Exodus 11, 1-3, we see that, that Pharaoh's mind will be so changed that that he will drive the Israelites out. You know, I have that passage in my notes, and this morning at first service I was wondering if that was right. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. He's not just going to ask you to leave. He's going to run you out of town. His mind is convinced that I am God and He needs to let you people go. And that's exactly what Moses or what the Pharaoh does. And then we see we see in Exodus uh, chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. It's not going to be good for Egypt. But if it's not going to be good for Egypt, what about all the Israelite firstborns? I mean... What, what's going to happen to them? And that's where the Passover comes in. First, I, I want to get an idea of what maybe this plague might do to us here, just, just in this room right here. If you are a firstborn son, raise your hand. Okay? If you are in a family where there's a firstborn son, raise your hand. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? You know, really, that's a, that's a really good example of what sin does in our own life. It's death. It's death. It's evil. It's death. But, but then God comes up with this amazing thing. Literal happens. Exodus twelve forty one and 42 says at the end of the 430 years to the very day, to the very day, I think that's significant. 
You think God doesn't work things out? God cared about the details of your life? What does one day matter at the end of 430 years? God did it to the day. To the day. To the very day all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Now, there are at least two generations of people here who have only known slavery. That's all they've known. They were born in it and they have been a slave their whole life. And they have been influenced in a in a huge amount probably by the gods and the way that they worship in the nation of, of Egypt. See, they haven't been allowed to worship the way that they worship. It's been all forced and controlled. And they are about to have their minds blown by the one true God of all of life. This one event is one of the two biggest historical events to ever happen to the Israelites. No, check that. To happen to mankind. God is doing something amazing here in chapter 12. And I want to highlight a few things. And, and, and something that we need to recognize is that, that God is telling them that this is going to happen. Okay, we think, When we think of the Passover, we think that's something that they celebrate because of something that happened in the past. Yes, it is. Today, that's true. But when they first get this, it's going to happen. So as God's telling Moses, this is going to happen. This is what I want you to do. And then this will happen. Okay, so read verse 1 right there. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So first of all, God says, I'm doing something so incredible in the life of your nation that you're going to start your calendar by it now. This is the first month, starting right now. This is it. And so that's what they did. Um, it, it's the time of Abib, or later when, when in Babylon it was renamed as Nisan. It's April or March. It's right now. Then in verses 3 through 6, God gets very specific. He says, tell the whole community of Israel, and this is important, that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Uh, in verse 5, he says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. God is not only specific in doing this, but He's preparing them for the future. See, if they don't do what God is asking them to do, they're going to end up on the wrong side of God's judgment. And that's not a place where they want to be. For on the night of the 14th day of the month, the angel of death, or the destroyer, as it's also referenced in some translations, is going to come through Egypt and is going to kill the firstborn son of everyone. So these are some instructions that the Israelites want to get right. If you ever bought one of those pre-packaged, you-put-together pieces of furniture, you know, from Shopco or Walmart, you bring it home and you unpack it and they forgot to mark some of them, you know. You can't find all the bees. Where's the bees? Where's the bees? Have you ever... Have, I, I've put a few of those things together and, and I have found that it is 
it is imperative that you count out the screws and that you follow those instructions letter by letter by letter. Because if you, if you do something out of, out of sequence, you're lucky to get it back apart to put that in the right place so that it works right. God is giving them specific instructions, and these aren't, hey, remember what happened. These are, do this because it's coming. So then in verse 7 it says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So that's exactly what they did. They put blood on the doorposts and above the door. And when they did that, their house was then recognized as having been redeemed or protected by the blood of an unblemished lamb. Then there's more details about what to eat and what to do with what's left, if there is any. Uh, They're even told what to wear. Pastor Ty, I think this week in the Second Look video, you're talking about some of the Passover stuff and the symbolism, right? Right. Well, look at verse 11. I mean, God says, This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This isn't a sit-down, enjoy-family-time kind of meal. This is one of those meals where you overslept on... You live in the country as a kid. You overslept. Um, the bus you know is going to come around the corner any second. You're standing at the, the breakfast table. You're scarfing your food, and you're already dressed to go out the door with your coat and everything. God says that's how you need to be dressed because it's going to happen that quick. When it happens, you're going to be gone. And you're going to be able to do that because of the Passover. God is making sure that they are ready. You know, we need to be ready today. Today. A question that I always ask at a funeral is, you know, we always face our own mortality when we attend a funeral, especially if it's somebody that's very close to us. We're not going to live forever. And we shouldn't even assume it's going to be through tomorrow. We need to be ready today. That's what he's telling the the Israelites right here. You need to be ready because it's happening. Trust me, it's happening. Verse 12, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. They will be safe. Not only will the chains of their slavery soon be broken, but they will come out of it unscathed. Unlike the Egyptians. Then, in the next few verses, God commands them to celebrate, to commemorate the Passover every year from now on. Not only to remind yourselves but so that your children and your children's children will know that I am the Lord, the one God. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Verse 27, then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when He struck down the Egyptians. They did exactly as they were told. They followed the instructions. And then in verse 29, it happens. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh 
who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. God's judgment is not good. It is deserved, but it is not good. And then Pharaoh, in verse 31, summons Moses and Aaron and says, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And then he says something that's odd, kind of out of place. And also bless me. I I just am kind of struck by that, that he would have the audacity to ask to be blessed. But maybe he's beginning to realize how powerful the God of the Israelites is. And that's what we are under in our sin without Jesus Christ. Uh, this is an amazing event, isn't it? I mean, could, could you imagine being there? Could you imagine sitting in the house waiting, wondering, is this really going to happen? And then it does. And it has so little to do with Moses, doesn't it? So little to do with Moses. It's all God. It's all God. I'm daily amazed at how God works things out and how sovereign He is. Not only did God lay out what was going to happen in the Passover uh, that night in Egypt before it happened, but He laid out what was going to happen some 1,400, almost 1,500 years later what was going to happen in Jerusalem. So, we can see that he continues to work year after year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and we can trust that he's working right now. So as we begin to close, I want us to think about the scarlet thread. I mean, Hollywood can't one-up the Exodus, the Passover. It, It isn't doable. We can't make this stuff up. And then in the end, Jesus becomes the final Passover lamb. Perfect. Unblemished. Isn't God amazing? He's been working this plan out since the very beginning. And now Israel experiences, all of humanity experiences a second huge shift in the universe. As Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem on what day? Lamb Selection Day. And then he is crucified at the hand of the Romans at the request of the Jewish religious leaders. Just as prophecy had declared for hundreds of years before. It happens in God's own time, in his perfect time. And each and every one of us listening to this message who have believed in Jesus as our Savior are living in the reality of spiritual freedom. We have spiritual freedom today. It doesn't matter what kind of a curveball life throws you. If, if, if we as a nation were, were enslaved in some way by another country for hundreds of years, that doesn't change the fact that God is still working and redeeming in our life. We 
are no longer stuck. We are free. And then write 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 in your notes and, and think on this this week. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. It's an empty way of life. Money can't buy you freedom. Your job can't buy you freedom. Your family can't buy you freedom. Your kids can't buy you freedom. It's an empty way of life. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he has chosen before... Uh, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what good news. What good news you guys are taking to Spain. Oh, we just pray that people will listen, that they will hear. I pray that we listen and we hear as well, because our lives are no longer empty. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor Dave, my life is so empty right now. It feels so empty. It's overwhelming. And I'm sure as we think about our, our event today that after 430 years of, of slavery, that's the way that the Jews felt as well. But God was still working. We know he was because we just saw it. And you can trust and believe in your own life that God is still working. Think about the reality of 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 your life in Christ this week. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are in essence passed over. Those things that we have done wrong, those sins are not counted against us. They are counted against Jesus Christ. He has absorbed the pain and the agony of of all of that. He paid the price. And I pray that all of us here today have surrendered our lives to Him. Now, again, one last time, think about the fact that for thousands of years, God has been working this out. God, God worked in Noah's life, and He worked in Abraham's life, and Isaac's, and Jacob's, and Joseph's, and Moses, all the way down to the disciples, to us. He's still working. He's still working, and we can smile because He is even in the midst of those hard things that we're experiencing in life. So let's be faithful and obedient to the end of our life. Let's be ready as the Israelites were, not knowing the exact time when we will take our breath, but knowing that if we were to take our last last breath, that we are ready today. And let's look for every opportunity to love people and tell them of this incredible love that Jesus Christ has for them. As Pastor Ty comes up to close our service this morning, and Nathan, there was this sweet little lady at the funeral yesterday. And she thanked me for the message that I presented, and and with tears in her eyes, she said, I know some of these people, and they need Jesus. And I just thought, oh Lord, for all of us to have that sensitivity of heart, to recognize the people around us, the people that we love, the people that we don't love, need Jesus. And may we take every opportunity that we get to positively influence towards um, people towards a love of Jesus Christ. The ushers are going to come forward. Uh, we'd ask that you'd put those connect cards into the offering plate. 
Um, guys, don't forget to fill out the questionnaire out on the back table. Put it in the black box. And let's stand and let's sing this last song. Thank you.